If you're just joining us, we started a series a few weeks ago on just eternity and, and, and establishing some principles in life, taking on topics that we don't talk about much in church anymore, like hell. And last week we dissected hell and what hell was. Um, and, and we say this, and I want you to get it. There's four principles that you need to really get in your mind. We're going to review these every single week. Number one, you are made to last forever, right? Um, not only were you made to last forever, number two, you were made for a relationship. God made you because he wanted a relationship with you. Number three is you're going to last forever in one of two places, heaven or hell. And then number four was you get to choose which. God gave us that choice through Jesus Christ. And so can I tell you what's happened? In the last three weeks, we've seen probably around 20 to 25 people accept Christ. Um, last week as we went through, and, I, and I'll tell you this, go back and review it. Um, Garrett and I were talking this week on how we, we talked about hell, but we don't use hell as a weapon to try to get you to go to heaven. Matter of fact, your salvation, and this might be a little bit different than what you've been taught, um, and, and I don't mean to be offensive, but your salvation shouldn't be based on heaven or hell. It should be based on the fact that God is madly in love with you and sent his son. Um, that there's a savior and a Lord of your life in Jesus Christ. That's what it's based on. It's the love of God that brings us in, right? Um, God's not demanding, right? He has commands and he has rules and regulations that he wants us to live by. But God allows us what we call free will. In other words, let's put that in a different word, a choice. We get to choose. And I, I've taught our teenagers. We, we talk about it every night. And by the way, we saw a real cool movement Monday night, this past Monday night in our youth group. And, and one got saved at youth and then um, Sunday night went home, a college age got saved over the phone. Like we just see people getting saved. And I think if we were to put it together in the past five months, we're pushing close to a hundred people that have accepted Christ. And so um, that number is, is exciting, but that number shouldn't be a trophy. That number should become a responsibility. In other words, it should be like, hey, let's grow them and nurture them. Um, if you know, three or four weeks ago, we, we broke down into two services because we can't fit into one. So we've expanded space. We got one family that every time they bring somebody to church, that person gets saved. So now we're just looking at them saying, who are you bringing next week, right? Like, hey, what are you going to do? Because when you get passionate about what God's done in your life, and that's what's happened in this family's life, you can see God coming out. And then you go get passionate about other people. And, and, and we've said this, there's got to be a vision, and the church has lost its vision of this. We've got to get a vision of the cross and what Jesus Christ did and accomplished on it, the love that he has. We've got to get a, a vision of the empty tomb and what that represents and means in our lives, that sin is conquered and defeated, and you can get up. Even if you've fallen, you can get up. doesn't matter who you are, where you are. There is no, you are too far, too far gone. There's no, you did too much. There, there, there's hope right now. Resurrection, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives where? Anybody know? In us. Isn't that good news? All right. And so then you got to get a vision of heaven and hell. These are two real places. Um, one prepared for us. That's what we're going to talk about today. I'm actually going to preach a sermon on heaven. And I know that in, in a modern day church that normally they'll tune you out. But I think there's a lot that we need to understand about heaven because heaven is not meant to be delayed. God does have a physical place that we're going to go. But God wants us to experience a little bit of heaven on earth. That's why Jesus came and died. And so what we're missing in church and what we're missing in the life of Christianity is an excitement of the realization that God's power, God's presence is with us right now. All right, wherever we are and whatever we're doing, God is there and, and, and equipping you and wanting to do something incredible in your life and through your life. And there is nobody that is too insignificant. Every single one of you were created in God's image. I shared the story uh, last week of a man that I sat with and had a conversation and he was kind of scolding me for somebody that we've helped and why would you do this? 
And, and, and it's an unbeliever. Why would you do this? And why would you help that person? That person is nuts. That person's crazy. That person's been mean to y'all. That person's done these things. And it's like, because it's not about me and it's not about who we are. It's about being Jesus and Jesus loved his enemies, right? And thank God at one point you and I were enemies of God, but not anymore. You don't have to be because of Jesus Christ. You're now children of God, right? If you've given him your heart and made him Lord. So as we move forward, I looked at him and he's like, well, I don't know why it is. I help people all the time too, and I can't understand it. And I told him this, and I'm going to tell you, even absent having Christ in your life, you're still made in the image of God with a soul that'll last forever. And there's attributes of God in you. Does that make sense? So where do you think you got your feelings and your emotions from? God. So stop feeling crazy that you have feelings. Right? Just don't trust them. Don't build your life on them. We say it all the time, that your feelings should not be the engine of your decisions. They should be the result of good decision. So if I make a good decision, what's the result? Good feelings. If I make a bad decision, what's the result? Bad feelings. The problem is we make decisions from those. So I don't like the way I feel, so I'm going to do this. That's the worst thing to do. Yeah, the Bible says the heart is wicked, right? We can't even know it. You can't trust it. But the Bible also says out of the heart comes the course of our lives. Out of our words comes the direction of our lives. We got to be careful if we allow our feelings to dictate who we are. Um, Now, how many of us today felt like staying in bed? Right? Somebody at home is raising their hand still in bed, right? But the thing is, it's like, hey, it's, it's true. I felt like staying in bed. I hit my snooze five times this morning. Anybody beat me? Anybody hit it more? Right, does it make you a terrible person that you wanted to stay in bed? No, but would that have probably been a poor choice? Yes. How many of you Monday morning, it's time to go to work, you want to stay in bed? Yeah. How many of you all of a sudden, you're, 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 somebody you love starts telling you a story and you want to go to bed? All right? Your preacher starts preaching and it's nap time. Right? Your feelings come in, right? Sorry. It's true. It's good. Nick, you with me, buddy? It's about, get that kid a blanket, he's ready to go, all right? Like, they were giving him a hard time, he doesn't, he's, he's soaking, am I right, Nick? You just close your eyes and you soak it in. You don't even know what I just said, close your eyes, man, all right, here we go. The thing is this, listen, my feelings all, often get me in trouble and so do yours. Uh, and, and the reality is God gave us feelings, but he did not give us feelings to be the leader of our life. He gave us feelings to be motivated in life, to see things and to experience things, to be warned of things. Uh, uh, matter of fact, God did not create you to be a robot. He did not create you to be compassionless or passionless. God created you to care. All right. And you say, well, what's this have to do with heaven? Heaven's going to be a place full of feelings. Heaven's going to be a place full of passion and full of compassion. Love is definitely in the air. All right. Those of you that don't like sappy are going to become sappy, you know, because God is what? What's the word that it describes God as in in, in the New Testament? God is love. And so where God is, that's what we're going to experience. And last week we said, if you want to take hell and put it in a nutshell, one sentence, it is this. Hell is the exact opposite of everything that God is. So if God is about relationships, hell has none. If God is peace, hell is chaos. If God is kindness, hell is not. If God is light, hell is darkness. If God is love and joy, hell is the opposite of that. If God's presence brings power, then hell is powerless because God's presence is not there. And so as we look at this, we realize that, okay, if we can describe hell by saying it is everything God is not, then we can describe heaven by saying it is everything God is. And what a cool thing. So we're going to dissect that today. 
I hope you got some notes. Um, how many of you liked, I, I, I didn't ask this. I know I'm on live stream. We're not supposed to talk to the audience. We're supposed to just preach. But come on, just breathe. Yeah, you, you might be in a building, but you are the church. You're not in church. Ready? So let's, let's ask it. How many of you want the list of scriptures up front? Anybody want that? All right. How many of you say, no, I did not care for that? I did not like the Bible. Anybody? <laughs> All right, nobody? Okay, no, take it. All right, let me give them to you. Ready? Write them down. We're going to start with Colossians 3.1. I got a lot. Get your hands ready. We're going to go to Psalm 123, verse 1. And I'm not going to go back because I'll say these as we get to them. John 14, verse 2. Matthew 6, verse 20. Matthew 25, verse 34. Halfway there. Ephesians 1, verse 5. Hebrews 13, 14. You're going to learn to abbreviate. Psalm 53.2, and back to John 14.6. So let's go to Colossians 3.1. Right? This, is, this is really where we're going to base our entire series on heaven. By the way, we're going to spend more time on heaven than hell because heaven reflects God, and we need to know more about him. All right, so before you sit here and say, all we're going to hear about is eternity, no, that is not the truth. You're going to hear about a little bit of what eternity is that God expects from us now. Does that make sense? So we're going to, we're going to break this down over the next few weeks. I will say this. We did an in-depth study of this. It's going to be totally different. A nine-week series on these two, two things back in 2016. If you go to Podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N, Bean, Podbean, one word, search grace, look for our logo, Go back to April 15th of 2016, and you'll find this series that breaks this down in more detail. We're not going that way. That's why I'm telling you to go there, because it's a good six hours of listening, right? So you got a road trip coming up. Take it. All right, so Colossians 3, verse 1. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ. In other words, here's the result. Because you've been given this gift, this is what you should do. Y'all ready? Set your sights on the realities of what? Whoa. There's a word. It's like, hey, you've got other verses that say, now that you've received Christ, walk in him and let your roots grow. But here in Colossians, we're being told that now that you've got Christ, if you're going to make it, let's get set on what heaven is. Let's get the reality of heaven in our mind and in our heart. Because I promise you, there's two emotions every single one of us are going to experience when we get to heaven. You ready? Number one, we're going to step into the presence of God and say, I should have done more. I should have done more with my life. I mean, I've heard it said, and I've echoed it, hell to the believer will be to stand before God and realize what could have been done had you simply trusted him more with your life. All right, now, I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I like to serve God. I want to serve God. I, I, I try my best to stay focused. Uh, I still have a me problem in the fact that I still have anger issues, and I still have doubts, and I still have worry. Any me too's in the place, and I still have my own things. Like traffic still bothers me. I don't become a witness of God in traffic unless I'm focused. Um, and, and even at that, it's kind of hard to witness because if you start yelling in traffic, they don't think you're witnessing. All right, so it, it, it's like these things still challenge my life but I'm still seeking God and I'm still putting God, but I oftentimes forget that this life that we live is not even a fraction. It's not even a decimal worth quoting of the life you will actually live. 80 years here is a mere nothing compared to eternity there. 
And yet we spend our entire day, anybody else get guilty of this? Anybody else get lost in 10 days from now, the bills and the things that need to be done and the things that have to be taken care of? Anybody else get a little scared of the diagnosis of the doctor? Anybody else worried about job? Anybody else know there's a recession? Uh, We don't need to lie and say there's not, we're in it. Inflation's there. If you don't believe it, come work in our food pantry. It is getting more and more hit and needed every single day. People are in need and a great need is there, by the way. When there's great physical need, there's also an opening to spiritual need. This is a wonderful time to evangelize. It is a wonderful time to get the gospel out. Because when people become desperate, they start searching for answers. And right now, you and I have an answer to all of life, and that is Jesus Christ and the gospel of him. And so as we look at this, we realize we've got all this stuff around us and all these things happening. And if we're not careful, we'll get focused on what we need to do today for us. We'll we'll forget, and, and, and God help me, I'm convicted saying this. We'll forget that God is the provider, not us. And, 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 and we'll start taking responsibility on our shoulders. Uh, I want everybody to close their eyes because I want to talk to the men. And I know if you're anything like me and, and hanging around guys, we don't like to be emotional up front. And we definitely don't like to admit witness, uh, weakness in front of our spouses. I, I'm just going to be real. Ready? So close your eyes. Nobody look around. How many of you men feel like you carry the weight of your family and the finances and the bills and the responsibility of providing and protecting and doing those things on your shoulder? Would you slip your hand up? Anybody like that? All right. That's a lot of us. Um, okay. And, and how many of you feel like you are doing a great job? All right, there's two, three out of every hand that was raised. How many of you say, you know what? I've learned a long time ago that I'm not the provider. I'm not the protector. I'm just the one that God is using. So I rely on him for those things in my life. Anybody like that? Slip their hand up. All right. And how many of you say you're doing a good job? All right, here it is. Listen and, and look at me. And actually don't. Let's talk to the ladies. Ladies, how many of you feel like you're, you've got a lot of the responsibility of your family on you? Slip your hand up in the air. How many of you feel like that? All right. And so I, I think that would be most. How many of you feel like we're the perfect mom or dad? Ready? Slip your hand up. Who's got that? How many of you feel like you're letting your kids down? Slip your hand up. All right. How, how many of you, you give everything you got, you, you wake up exhausted, go to bed exhausted, and still feel like you're not giving enough? All right, here it is. Take your hands down. Ready? Set your eyes. Give me your eyes. Set your minds on the realities of heaven because what's happening is we're setting our minds on the reality of us. And what we're realizing is I don't have enough in my tank to give. I, 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 if I'm a car, I don't have enough fuel. If I'm an engine, I don't have enough power. Like I, I, I can't. Yesterday I was showing some property and I got stuck in the mud. And it's the first time I've had my truck stuck in the mud. It's the first time I got out, looked at my truck and said, that's a man's truck, you know, because it was covered in mud. But I thought I was going to get stuck. I literally did. And, and, and so I was showing property to a man and a lady and the lady came up and said, this is what we need to do. So my man card went out the window. She said, this is what we need to do. We need to go get branches and logs and different things and fill up this pond. And we need to get something that's going to give us traction. And I'm like, all right, here we go. And so I, I buried myself getting in. I couldn't get out. And then all of a sudden somebody comes in with a little bit of guidance. You put it in and you punch right out. Right. And, and, and I sat there and I thought, wow, that was so easy. Why didn't I think of it? And then I realized how many times are we in life trying to figure out how we're going to get out of a mess or get ahead, and the Holy Spirit saying, hey, you know, you need to lean on God. You need to trust the Lord. You need to realize you've never once been the protector of your life. You've never once been the provider. God shields your health and gives you opportunities. Do you have to put the effort in? Absolutely. But are you the one opening the doors of your life, or is God the one opening the doors of your life? All right, God is. And how often do we forget that? And I promise you, when we forget that, if you're anything like a, another human being, that's when stress, anxiety, and worry start taking over. 
That's when inadequacy, I'm not good enough. Inferiority, everybody else is better than me. Start setting in. And when that happens, we start acting out in frustration, right? Our words get sharp. Our actions get dangerous. And I'm not saying you're dangerous like you're going to go hurt somebody, but you're dangerous, but you're doing something that's going to hurt your testimony, hurt your progress, hurt what's going on in your life. And a lot of times we turn to something other than God. We're going to get to heaven one day and realize that we could have done a lot more with our lives had we just simply trusted God in the areas of our lives that we're trying to control. Who in here would openly admit you're a control freak? All right. Um, I'm going to give you an illustration real quick. I need a water bottle that's full, and I need a person that doesn't care to get wet. All right. I got two. Y'all do paper, rock, scissors. I'll take which one. All right, go do it. All right, get together. All right. There are you, so I don't want to play favorites. Best out of one. You got one shot. All right, come on, Ethan. All right, here we go. Toss that to me real quick. Thank you, buddy. All right, I use this often. Um, it, it, it is something that I, I, I firmly believe happens with fear in our lives. Let's say that this represents your life and the water in the bottle actually represents what makes you you. Okay? So is this a pretty full and complete life right now? Yes, absolutely. So what we do often is we, we, we spend our life. How many of you realized in a day you've only got a, a, so much emotional energy? How many of you have got so much focus, so much... Um, you know, it, it, like ability to process and think and learn. How, how many of you realize you got limits? You can pour some out and, and, and it, it, it goes faster than it comes in, right? That's why your daily walk with God is so important because the Bible says every day his mercies renew. We did an illustration on this about four months ago with our whole baptistry. You, 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 he pours back in. But here's what happens. A lot of times, step over here. Can y'all all see him? Let's move my thing back. Let's move you forward. I might need some paper towels. All right, so here we go. Step in the middle. So here's your life. Now, um, if I were to tell him to run, what would happen to his life? Some would come out. Not all of it, but he'd lose a little energy. Physical, emotional, mental, come out. If I, if I were to say, enjoy your life, you taste it. You drink it, right? And it gives nourishment. But a lot of people want to control their life, and this is what control does, all right? If he's in control and God comes in and says, I want your life, and he's not willing to surrender that life, he gets afraid. How many of you have ever been sitting in a service, or you've ever been listening to a podcast, or you've ever been in your Bible study, and you feel God moving in your life, asking you to surrender or do something, and your heart starts racing? Anybody ever had this, um, this, this physical thing happen? Or, or how many of you remember the first time you saw the love of your life? Right? What happened? Okay, maybe they weren't the love of your life. I don't know what's going on. All right, but you can't breathe a little bit, right? Like, how many of you were like, I'm going to go talk to that person, and went up, and no words were there? What is up with this place today? I'm going to get Nicholas Sparks up in here. And the truth is, is your heart races. Something happens. Um, remember holding your child for the first time? How many of you remember holding your first baby thinking, how am I going to do this? Like, I did not know I could love a complete stranger so much in a second. And immediately priorities start changing, right? Now, in our lives, they handed us a second one. 
And then it's like, okay, two versus two, we got this. You know, we, we've had some training. Lincoln was a little bit older. He's about six at that time. So it's like, okay, we've had six years of practice through difficulty. We might be able to hand this. They handed us the third one, and it's like, we're outnumbered. I mean, we're double team. We're triple team. You know, you walk in the door, and you realize, uh-oh, like, who can we get to move in, right? Like, who's going to help us? There's a moment that happens there. There's a breathlessness that happens there as you're holding your, your child, right? Um, or if you've adopted one, that day you bring them home. The, 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 the things that take place in your life is excitement, but there's also that, oh my goodness, moment. Like, how am I going to do this? So, well, here's what happens. God comes in and he says, I want. And, 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 and immediately Satan hits us with fear and says, what's going to happen? How, how are you going to trust him? You know, um, a good way to practice surrender of your life, and please don't get this wrong, is, is it, it, when I say get this wrong, please don't get offended. Be open, right? Is tithing. Like when you give, like how scary can that be sometimes, right? I, I wrote a check this morning that I prayed over and said, God, I'm happy to give this, but I'm trusting you're going to supply the needs down the road, right? Like I, 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 that's my day to day sitting at my desk. And so there's, there's financial things in the future that I can't figure out. And yet, here's what you've given me this week. And while I'm happy to give it, I'm not going to lie, sometimes it's scary. And I think we need to be open from our pulpits about that. Can you be cheerful and afraid at the same time? Yes. That's called your first date, right? And, 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 and you're scared to death, but you've got to surrender yourself. What should a first date look like, right? Like, let's, let's just talk. Like, how should it be? How should it go? There should be some communication, um, one good thing to learn on a first date is probably their name. You know, if you didn't know that already before you got there or, you know, I tell our teenagers, one of the very first things you should know is, do you know Jesus Christ? Um, because the truth is that they're pursuing something opposite what you're pursuing. The relationship's already struggling before it started. Um, and it's going against what God's word said. It said, don't unequally yoke together. And, and, and it's not saying you can't be friends with, it's not saying that you can't do, it's just saying, hey, look, and, I, and by the way, I can parade husbands and wives on this stage right now that would, are pleading with God for their spouses to get on board with loving Jesus. And, and, and the friction that that causes is real. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Say amen. Yeah, it's there. And so you should ask that. You should you maybe ask questions like, hey, what, what kind of food do you enjoy? What are the things you like to do? If you're somebody over here and you're an adventurer and you like to hike and you like to, you like to be outdoors and you like to do this and all of a sudden you're sitting by somebody that says, I never want to go hiking. Should you evaluate something? Right? Like maybe this is a good friendship. You know, if you're an Xbox gamer, you're a Fortnite junkie and, and all of a sudden they're like, I hate video games. I think people that pay them are stupid. Check. You know, like, hey, how do we do that? Right? You should ask questions, agree or disagree. Yeah. And so, but in there, there's that, that moment of, what do we do? You know what that's called? That's surrender. You're telling about yourself. And tell me about your family. If you come from a good family, you, you spill. If you come from a poor family or a bad family is what I mean by that, where there's a lot of abuse, sometimes you're tempted to lie, right? And, you know, because I'll never forget somebody saying to me when I was about to propose to my wife, she, they, they looked at me and literally said, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And that's the only thing I'm worried about. And it hurt because I know what they, my dad was a certain way. My dad had done these things and, and thank God it's been years since my dad hit me because I don't live there anymore. But they knew those things about me because I had surrendered those. I had given those up. And the more you give up, the more you get to know, agree or disagree. Now, I'll be honest with you. A lot of us come into church 
and we keep hidden from the church what's going on in our lives, thinking that we will be okay by doing that. But God knows the hurts in your life, and God already knows the struggles of your life. And I believe this more than anything. God is ready for the church to stop pretending they're okay and actually being real about the issues of their lives. And so if we would come to God and surrender, surrender says, God comes and says, man, you could spill this. Let me hold this. Let me, and and by the way, if this is your life, everywhere it goes, you go. But God's saying, let me take you and let let me plant you. God doesn't spill you. He plants you in the areas of life you need to be planted. Agree or disagree? Hey, he, he says, okay, you know what? This is where I want a little bit of you, but hey, I know, I know I'm going to, I'm pouring out a little bit of you, but it's going to grow a harvest. There's going to be a lot more to come back in. You're going to have an overflowing cup right here. So let me plant you. And let's go over here. We're going to plant you here too. We're going to plant you in your school. We're going to plant you in your friend group. We're going to plant you at a lunch table or an assigned seat in a classroom. We're going to plant you here because from here, I'm going to grow a harvest. And so everywhere God goes, you go. And when God says, okay, all right, listen, it's time to rest. This is a Sabbath. This is a day to take off because we've spent six days now really pouring you out. So now it's time to replenish. God starts filling this back up. The problem is a lot of us don't stop to spend time with God each day and we are depleted and go into the next day depleted because we're not letting God have have our lives and the next we're not letting God fill our lives and that's why we feel empty and that's why we feel like nobody cares and that's why we feel like nobody notices us because instead of giving God our lives we're giving our boyfriend or girlfriend our life saying complete me make me feel like I'm somebody hold me up love me why don't you love me what's wrong why are you being different what's going on are you leaving are you this are you that and the next thing you know we're in a fear panic and what do we want back we want our heart back and I, I, I don't know why we're here. This is not my sermon. But the truth is, I think we are living in an age of Christianity where people cannot evangelize because they are not being ministered to by the Holy Spirit because they got their focus on, I'm the provider of my life instead of him being the provider of their life. And the number one reality of heaven is this, God is in charge. I mean, it is his will, his way, his thoughts, everything's that. That's why it's a perfect place, because there's no flaw in him. There's no darkness in him. How many of you would raise your hand with me and say, I got flaws, I got darkness? All right, and if you can't raise your hand to that, the Bible says, hey, don't deceive yourself. You do, and I know some of us, we just don't raise our hands. I get that, but the reality is everybody in here is messed up. And so what, what happens is God says, I, I, I will keep this, I will help this, and oh, you made a mess, I'll clean it. But here's what often happens in our lives, and let's be real, step away from electricity. I don't want to send you to Jesus. All right, so here we go. Ready? Oftentimes, God comes and says, give me control, and we don't want to lose it, right? That's a good idea. That's another good idea. Thank you, Robbie. So don't let your life go. No matter what, don't let your life go. You got it? So God comes in, the Holy Spirit comes in and says, hey, I need this. And we say, no, don't let your life go. And then all of a sudden, this starts happening. Right? Oh, you've got no shoes on. Your socks are wet. But now we're in a mess. Right? What's going on with my life? How did that? By the way, when somebody does something heinous and you ask them why and they say, I don't know, that's a good truth. 
Because so oftentimes it's not because they woke up that day and said, I'm going to go be this terrible person. I'm going to go have an affair. I'm going to go lie. I'm going to go steal. I'm going to go take somebody's life. They don't often wake up that way. You know what happens is they get trapped in this, I need control and everything's out of control. And they're in this battle with God saying, you're going to mess this up. And what are they doing? Now let go of your life. They're literally spilling themselves. How many of you got years of your life that look like this? Yeah, yeah, this is my 20s. This is my early 30s. This is the area where it's like, I have done all this and I feel like all I've got back is a mess. Why? You're holding on to something you need to let go of. You're trying to, and, and, and you know what's happening? Fear makes you controlling. That's why I asked you, how many of you are a control freak? And we raise our hands and we say, hey, that's a lot of us. And you know what's happening? You're going to feel broken. You're going to feel empty. You're going to feel useless. And you've got an enemy that's going to come sing that song and say, look what you did. Nobody's going to love you. You're a mess. Your vessel's broken, and look at all you've done. Look at what you've done around you. Everybody knows who you are. That's why I love the Bible says that he brings beauty from ashes, right? Amen. And we got a Holy Spirit that will come in. I'll let you be the Holy Spirit if you don't mind. Come on up, and you can clean this, all right? So here it is. Like, what an, you want to, the Holy Spirit says, hey, I got this. And God says, I refill this. But here's the thing. If you feel like life is spilling, if you're wasting your energy, if you feel like you're broken and tore up, there is a great chance today that God is asking for control. And heaven is a place where control is surrendered. Yeah. And you know what God says? I don't want you to defer your surrendering of your life to when you're standing in front of me. I want you to surrender your life now. You know what the second emotion I believe we, and you can get your shoes back on. Thanks. Give these guys a hand. Thank you. And I'll dive in on this a little bit so I don't bust myself. Understand this. The second emotion I think we're going to feel is not only I wish I'd have done more with my life. I think our second emotion is going to be, I should have told more people about this. I should have shared this. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. How many of you have ever got a good piece of cake at a, at a restaurant? Let's, let's talk about this. After church, tell me what restaurant. All right. But but how many of you have ever sat down, you took a bite, and you were with somebody, and your next statement was, oh my goodness, you have to what? Try this. Or you're the one that shoves it on the fork, you just ate out, please never do this to me. You shove it on the fork, you just bit off of it and shove it in my face. I'm never going to try it. Get my own clean fork, and off the other end that you haven't eaten off of, a little bit of a germaphobe, right? But the thing is, is I, you, know, you shove it, and you say, you've got to eat this. You've got to do this. My little girl does that with goldfish. You know, she's like, Daddy, do you want one? No. Next thing you know, the tail of that goldfish is on my lips. Daddy, Daddy, eat one, take one, take one. And it, it, eventually I give in, I surrender, and she shoves that thing in. Right? Thank you, buddy. That should be good. All right? And I appreciate it. Let's give him a hand, too. You can have the rest of the water. There's Ethan's life. All right, so understand this, and I want you to get it. Our mission on earth is to get a reality of heaven and what heaven is like so that we start, number one, living as if we're going there. And number two, telling the people about it so that they can go there too. I mean, I, I, I know this to be the fact, you know this to be the fact that God did not create hell for a person. He created it for the devil and his demons, according to the book of Matthew. 
But too many people that we love are going to go to hell one day because too many people that know God don't live as if we live with God and as if God is in control. Heaven is a place where he's in total control. Sure, it's a real place. It's not a fictional place. This isn't heaven. I've heard people say, well, heaven's going to be right here. No, it's a real place. It's a place that has streets. God gives us physical, tangible qualities of heaven where he says there's streets, there's gates, there's buildings, there's animals, right? There's lion and lamb, there's trees. It's a physical place, but heaven is a place that that God has prepared. Look at John 14, verse 2. Jesus said, there is no more than enough room in my father's house. If this wasn't true, if this were not so, I would not have told you it was, so I'm going to prepare a place. I want to tell you, I'm going to go prepare a place for you if there's no place to go to. You say, why is that important? Because there is a movement in Christianity to pretend that heaven and hell is lived in this life. That is not true. This life is practice for eternity. There's a place you're going. Jesus himself told us that we're going there. In Psalm 123 verse 1, it says, A song for pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem. I lift my eyes to you, O God, enthroned where? In heaven. Heaven is real. It's a real place that God actually has control of. Number three, heaven's a place made for me and you. Let's go back and look at Matthew 25, verse 34. In Matthew 25, verse 34, it says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. There's more to life. This is important. Ready? There's more to life than right here, right now. I mean, how many of you have ever been impulsive, made an impulsive decision, made an impulsive purchase, or made an impulsive statement? Impulsive means you made it out of the feelings of the moment, in the moment, believing that this moment mattered. By the way, most of our arguments come from forgetting that the relationship has tomorrow. Uh, Come on now. That's real. Uh, We live as if this day, this moment, this argument, being right is all that matters. We forget that we got to wake up with that person tomorrow. We forget that we got to do life with that person tomorrow. We forget that we got to make decisions with that person tomorrow. And so if we live like here and now is all there is, we may hurt tomorrow. Would you agree? And I believe that people today, instead of laying up treasures in heaven, are seeking the treasures of earth. And as a result, they're not experiencing the joy and will not have the joy of what heaven actually is when they get there. Because guaranteed, there is a reward system in heaven. And we don't like to talk about that, but it's true. You'll stand before God one day. You'll give an account for your works. You'll give an account for your words. And the things that you did for God will come forward as gold, silver, precious jewels. But the things you did for the world, the things you did for yourself, the things I did for me and nobody else, they will burn up like wood, hay, and stubble. And you either have ashes or you have treasure by the things that you've done. Here and now is not all there is. So think about that next time you dial up your porn. Think about that the next time you want to tell a lie to somebody and tell them they're worthless by the things that you're saying. Or or think about that the the time you want to talk about somebody and stab them in the back and you could emotionally damage them for the rest of their life. Think about that when you're making a decision and an impulse of what it might do in the future. Think about this. If you're always chasing your wants, Dave Ramsey says, you'll never be able to afford your needs. So in other words, it's like this. I need the car. I want the car. I buy the car, but now I need a house and I can't buy the house because my debt to income ratio is too high. 
You need the TV, now you can't get the heart. I bought these and my credit card debt's crazy, and now I can't afford groceries. You say, what are you saying? I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just simply saying you cannot live like this moment is the only moment you have. Heaven is saying, I'm going to a place where I'm going to spend most of my existence. So why would I live in this place as if it's all I have? I'll be honest with you. If we believed heaven was real, we'd be a little bit more giving. Would you agree? And what I mean by giving is I'm not talking just to the church. We'd be more giving to others. How about, how about we'd be more generous with our kindness? I mean, if, if, if we believe that heaven is coming, that Jesus is coming back, and Garrett and I spent a long time, and I'm not going to do it with y'all because I'll be honest with you, we have some conversations right now that I think if we had from this stage, most people would think we're crazy. But if you look around the world um, and, you, and you see all the things that are happening, can I give you a preview? You should be getting excited because the stage is being set for the return of Jesus Christ. I mean, it is playing out right in front of you. Our government last year issued an order that within 11 months, the Treasury Department has to come up with a digital currency that could be enacted within two to three years. And you're sitting there and you're saying, that'll never happen. I remember, and I told him this, my college professor, who was a former CIA assassin, went to a symposium 20 years ago, came back, and I was sitting in his class, and he said the statement, I left scared, came back terrified. There'll come a day where checks will no longer matter. There'll come a day where your credit cards will no longer matter. There'll come a day where it will be digital and it will be controlled by a one world system. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, Revelation said that the end times without the mark of the beast, you can't buy, sell, or trade. And you look at our lives and it's like, oh, that'll never happen in our lifetime. Wake up. Wake up. I told our teenagers uh, a couple of Mondays ago, I'm going to tell you the same. Either we are, or they could be, or they could be raising one day the generation that sees Jesus split in eastern sky. We are getting closer and closer, and the times are lining up more and more. And you say, oh my goodness, Josh, let's not get into that. I'm telling you this right now. Let's get into the reality that heaven is coming to take us home one day. Because heaven is not a place. Heaven is a Savior. Heaven is God. Heaven is the Holy Spirit. Heaven is the presence of God. And where he is, one day we will be. We are going home one day. But until that day, he has come here. And he's living in here. His Holy Spirit living and guiding us. Our lives would radically change. Would y'all pray for me? I'm going to pray for you that we get this mindset. That we wake up every day and say, it's not all about today. It's all about him. It's all about heaven. Jesus would pray when he was teaching his disciples how to pray. On earth, as it is where Oh man, what a radical statement. To say that the things that God desires, that the power that God wants to see move could happen right now, what a radical thing. And Jesus, they said, teach us to pray. And part of that prayer is God, bring heaven down. Into this moment, give me this day my daily bread. You know, we teach in our Monday night overcoming grief class, which there's an invitation I know they echo it on Tuesday nights in our restoration ministries at Grace. There's an invitation. Both come with meals. So you say, well, I just don't want to cook tonight. Show up for class and eat. All right, that's it. But the thing is, is um, we, we teach that God gives us the grace for here, not for tomorrow. I want you to write this down. God gives you the grace you need, not somebody else, the grace for you. 
Isn't that a cool thing? Aren't you glad that God doesn't make you go check in at your church to get the grace he has for you? Um, I, I, I say it, I'm probably the most, I, I, I'm not, I hate to say that. There are pastors out there like this, but um, Sunday morning is not my favorite thing that we do. Does that mean to say? It's probably, I should have waited to second service where we're not on Facebook to say it, but Sunday morning is not my favorite thing we do. Sunday morning, I love, I love spending time with you, but one of my favorite things that we do is when we dissect, we get into our small groups, we get into our intimate settings, and we go deeper into God's word. I'll tell you this right now, you will not get your faith from a Sunday morning pulpit. You'll get an idea of something to believe. You'll get your faith from a daily walk. You know, um, my wife came home talking about one of our teenagers, and uh, matter of fact, I'll throw out her name, um, Joelle. Uh, Let's brag on her for a little bit. Ever since our youth conference, her mom has been saying that even though she's got battles in her life, and those are hers to tell and her testimony to tell, and God's working in her life, um, she stood right here and said that in front of all of you on a packed out Sunday. She said, the one thing Joelle does that I've never seen her do is every day she reads her Bible. And, and, and Jordan came home and said, we're actually doing real things if we're getting our kids excited about being in the Word of God. Because that is where their belief systems come from. Now, we model those. Parents teach those. But how many parents in the room would agree that no matter how much you say something, your kid doesn't get it? And how many would believe that a lot of times they get it from somebody else? Or they give credit to somebody else for everything you've been teaching them? Come on now. Let's slip a hand up in the air. You know what that is? It's, here's the Word of God. It's like, I live. I should live. I should practice the Word of God in front of my kids. But until my children get a love for the Word of God, they're not going to grow in Him. Does that make sense? So my, my, my goal is to teach our young people to love God's word, not to love our sermons. You know, it's a dangerous place when we go to church because we like the way the preacher preaches. That's a dangerous place to be. You know, it's a dangerous place to be that we're in a small group because we, we, we like hanging out with the people. We should be in there because we want to know the word of God because it is, it is the only thing that will change your life. It's alive. It's the only thing that knows your life. It's the only, God knows it and he makes it known. It's the best text message you've ever received. Please read it. And here's the cool thing. Send a reply. When God speaks, get back into it. Heaven is a place where God's word echoes. His voice echoes. His intentions are real. They're not fantasy. We live in a perverted version of where God wanted life to be. Aren't you thankful today that here and now is not all we get because we don't have to stay in this perverted, twisted world for all of existence? Aren't you thankful that there is a day that we will go to a place where this will not exist anymore? Isn't that going to be great? Can I tell you right now, we need to get this understanding that God wanted a family. God loved us. And when the world was destroyed from being able to have that perfect family, God said, I've got another place prepared. And that place is real. Ephesians 1, verse number 5. Let's check it out. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. That is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. In Hebrews 13, verse 14, it says, For this world is not our permanent home. Man, thank God for that. Thank God. Um, you know, and I know I bring it up a lot because it, 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 it's our real life. But like, I, I, we're getting words from our son Lincoln, nine years in the making, finally getting words, extensive therapies. You, some of you experience this. You know what it's like? You're getting new things and it's exciting. But one day, I'm going to get to sit in a place with my son and hear 
his true thoughts. And I, I, I think about that all the time. I, I cannot wait to one day be able to sit and have a full conversation with Lincoln. And while that may not happen here on earth, good news, it will happen in heaven. And what an exciting thing to think about. Everything will be made the way that God intended for it to be. No more cancer diagnosis. No more in a few weeks having to say goodbye to exchange students that your heart's grown towards. No more having to, to look at someone and, and, and across the, the jury room or the, the courtroom or on the other side of bars because of what decisions have been made in their life. No more serpent in the tree. No more demon and an echo in your mind. No more chasing of addiction. No more wondering if they're going to survive this or come out of this. No more worry. No more stress. No more pain. No more sorrow. That day is coming. And what an exciting thing to think about. And the truth is if we believe that, that this is not our home, we need to tell somebody else it's not theirs either. We need to go and we need to say, hey, this isn't it. This isn't all God has for you. The best is yet to come. You know, I firmly believe that's what the folded napkin that was over the face of Jesus in the, in the tomb represented. I've shared that with y'all before. In Jewish custom, a folded napkin on the table meant to the servants, meant to the workers that, that you were coming back, do not clear the table. You were stepping away for business, but you still were going to come back and finish. If you wadded the napkin, threw it down, clear it off. I'm done. But folded napkin sitting there, don't touch it. And I love that when Jesus walked out of the tomb, I think it's a symbolism. All the body linen still laying in the shape of the body, right? But the napkin that covered the face folded on the side. Why is that important? Because Jesus was making a Jewish custom statement that he was not done. He was coming back. That he had left the table for just a little bit. He said to his disciples, this is where John 14 comes from. He says, I'm going to a place, but I am coming again. That is good news to the believer. Terrible news to our lost loved ones. And the truth is, they say 1% of the world is saying that they're Christians. 1% believer. 1%. I don't know if that's accurate. I don't know how real that is. But if you do the math of 7.4 billion people, we've got a lot of work to do. We've got a lot of people to tell. We've got to tell people heaven is a place that is going to be home. How many of you can echo this second line? I'm looking forward to a home yet to come. Anybody else say yes to that? You say, why is that important for me? That doesn't solve my problems now. But it might make your problems now seem a little less significant than they did before. You know, Paul would say these light afflictions, why are they light? Because they're not permanent. All right, will you please write that down? When we start realizing that these problems aren't permanent, we have hope. And hope is a powerful thing. Oh, this world is not home. We used to sing that old hymn. Y'all remember that? This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's golden shore. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. What a truth. We realize that there's a God in heaven designing a homecoming for us. The two, the two ways that God describes us in his word is the church and the bride of Christ. Children. I, I don't know about you, but it, 
kind of lets me take a deep breath and realize that I don't have to be this stressed. I don't have to be this worried. And you say, well, I've got a disease. I'm going to tell you this right now. God does not heal the disease. He will heal your soul. You'll get a new body. My grandmother was the most important person in my life. At the point she died, she was the only person that believed in me in my life. And I felt like the only person that saw who I was and loved me anyway. Matter of fact, when, um, when I liquidated my assets, if you know my story, that's when I poured everything I owned, that was everything I had. I was broke three months behind. My truck got repossessed three months behind on an apartment thing, but had a fridge and a cabinet loaded full of liquor. And, and I, I went, I, I remember the day opening the thing, starving and only having three pieces of bologna, opening the fridge, seeing all that liquor and realizing this is not life. And drunk as a skunk, I poured every ounce of that liquor down the sink. Now, was that the last time I drank? Absolutely not. So don't get an unrealistic expectation. It took me a year to get off that stuff. But I remember when my knees hit the floor, the one thing that had made the trip that, that really, if you know my story, um, I got a call. I had, I had gone to school at Tennessee Temple University. I was out of school. I was teaching um, high school math and English. And um, I don't know why. Those are like polar opposites ends. I hated English, love math. So, you know, English was easy for the students because I hated it so bad. Um, but I, uh, I, I, I had applied because I, I wanted to run away from my life. And, and I wanted to go back and get my law degree so that I could run away from my life. Um, I wanted a way, I, I had moved out of my home, right? I wanted to, out of the abuse. The only way you could escape our home was to get married or graduate school. So I was on a V-line for both. I almost married the wrong girl as a result of it and three months before called it off. But I had already put a deposit down on a house. And so they allowed me to leave. You know how far I got? A half acre to an acre away. I moved next door. All right, isn't that crazy? I, I could still remember the days I'd go home, get out of my car, and hear my dad beating my mom an acre away. And I would run across that yard, and I would go in there, and, and I would get whatever two-by-four, stabbed by whatever uh, they were stabbing each other with, and, um, and living that life. And I, I remember just, I, I was working 18 hours days. I was living on energy drinks and energy pills. I went to school one day, and this is how I was teaching till three, coaching basketball till five, leaving basketball, going to managing a tra travel agency from about 5.30 p.m. till 3 a.m. Go home, get a little bit of sleep, go back to school, be at the, the school 6.30, 7 o'clock the next day. I was a robot. In the summer, I was so addicted to work, I started a painting business. And so I'd paint the exterior of houses, totally scared to death of heights, would be on ladders painting houses, doing something I hated to do because I was going to, one way or another, get out of the life that I had lived. I was chasing solution and answer. Maybe somebody in the room today, and maybe this is why God's taking all these detours today. Somebody in the room's doing the same thing. I was chasing everything but Jesus. And I was finding everything the world had to throw at me. And you know what? I was not getting good results. I was a closet alcoholic. I was losing my mind. I had nothing. I went to school one day, and, and the kids told me, they were like, do you even remember what you did yesterday? I had blood coming out of my nose from the amount of energy pills that I was taking. Never did drugs, but the energy pills I was taking. And I said no. And I literally had lost an entire day of my life with no remembrance at all of what I'd taken in that day. And I realized this isn't for me. 
I was dating a girl at the time that had once told me, and I was so into needing to impress people. She had said, I, I wanted to go to Carson Newman. She lived in Florida. So what I did is I came up here and toured Carson Newman to impress her. How crazy is that? She lived, it put me further away. And so I moved up to Carson Newman because one day I'm standing on a ladder. They had rejected me, rejected me, rejected me. I'm standing on a ladder painting a house. And all of a sudden my phone rings and Carson Newman says, hey, guess what? We had an opening. We're going to let you in. You have to be at orientation tomorrow. I'm in Chattanooga. I've got no place to live, all these other things. And so I literally jumped off the ladder I had an 18-year-old that I had hired to help me. I threw him my paint sprayer, and I said, the business is yours, and I quit. I jumped in my truck. I ran to my house. I loaded everything I could get into that, in that truck. I went to my school. I got everything I could out of my desk, and I, I loaded it into my truck. My dad asked what had happened. I told him I got into school. He actually helped me, and we loaded his truck. My mom, her last statement to me was, you've killed us. You moving away, you have killed me and your brother. And in my mind, that first night that I laid in my apartment, I thought it was true. I literally bawled my eyes out thinking I had just killed my mom. On my way out of the school, a man named Willie got in my way. I've told this story, I'll tell it to the day I die because I've determined in my life that I'm going to be a Willie to somebody. Got my way, he was my teacher's assistant, 56-year-old man, big burly man, football player, ex-football player, blocked the door. I'm in a hurry. I literally got to go find an apartment, get moved in, and start school the next day. He stood in the door, and he simply said, he said, um, yeah, I'm going to paraphrase it today, but he said, your, your, your life, I know what you're doing. I know what you're going through. And he said, you're, you're falling apart. And I told him, I said, I need you to get out of my way. And I remember this statement very vividly. He said, my prayer is, is that my face becomes the face you see at the bottom of every bottle you empty. And I was like, you have lost your mind because I thought nobody knew. You have lost your mind. I said, get out of my way, I gotta go. The last statement he made to me is, one day you will hear my voice and your life will be different. I got in the car and literally put that out of my mind and I took off. Fast forward to the night that I'm here thinking I'm gonna get over alcohol by going to a Christian school and got worse. Because I moved to a place that nobody knew me. And by the way, moving to a place that nobody knows you does not change your life. It gives you the opportunity to actually live who you are. All right, that's, that's a real statement. And as I did that, and as I lived that, I became worse and worse. And then I didn't care. I didn't care who knew I was a drunk. I didn't care about going to the clubs and the bars and all those things. I didn't care. But that night, as I poured out those bottles, somehow a Bible my grandmother had gave me with a note in the front of it that she knew that God was going to use my life, had made the trip. And when I say I left, I left everything. I left TVs. I left, I left furniture in a house that I never went back to. And, and I, I, I got on my knees and I started reading and I told people, and I'll tell you, it was a King James Version, skull-filled Bible. I'm not the smartest person in the world. That translation's very hard for me to understand the these, the thous, and I'm not tearing it down. It's just, I'm not a brilliant person. I'm not a smart mind. And I remember sitting there and it was as if every 
page that I saw in that Bible said one sentence, I love you, I love you, I love you. And I don't know what it was, but I kept reading. And I don't even remember what I read, but I kept hearing the Holy Spirit say, I love you, I love you, I love you. And I remember shutting that Bible, laying it down and saying, God, I'll give you my life. Just give me a chance. Give me a way to make it different. Give me something I can do and I will serve you. I want to get rid of this. And the next day got an email from a local church needing the youth pastor. And you say that you should not have taken it. I don't care what you say. God radically changed my life in that moment. Now, did I still youth pastor with a drinking problem? Yes. And you say, oh, listen, um, I, I, I don't know. That's why I feel like I have such a burden for alcoholics and a burden for addicts, because I know what you can be if you simply heard the Holy Spirit whisper in your ear how loved you are. If you simply knew that you had a chance and you had something else, if you simply had a Willie stand in front of you and literally the guy was true, I would drink a fifth of tequila and think about Willie. I would get drunk and think about Willie. He made drunk miserable. Why? Because he haunted everything. Why? Because he knew that he cared about my soul. He cared about who I was. And I'm telling you now, we need a church that realizes that heaven is real, real enough that we care about the souls of the people we're coming in contact with. I remember one day after uh, this great metamorphosis of life where God changed me and called me to pastor, which I said I'd never do because my dad was a pastor and I hated pastors. And, 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 and I, I, I never, I'll never do this. Now, here we are. God has a great sense of humor. I remember driving down the road, getting a call, and all of a sudden there was Willie's voice. Hey, Brother Josh. And I remember on Interstate 40, right before the 407 exit, I lost it. I had to pull over to the side of the road because I was weeping so hard because his prophecy came true that the next time I heard his voice, my life was totally different. And you say, well, I'm going to go prophesy. Can I tell you this right now? Do not for a moment stop trying to say things in the name of God that God hasn't told you to say. But do say the things that he has told you to say. And can I give you a little preview of what that's like? God has told you to tell somebody else that he loves them. God has told you to tell somebody else that they are not too dirty, that they are not too far, that he has accepted them. And before the foundations of the world were laid, heaven was made for them. And God cares deeply for their soul. That it isn't about, and I don't tell addicts this, and we try, we do, we do a lot with that. Most of the money of our church goes to addiction. I'm just going to tell you that now. Would you agree or disagree with that? I mean, we spend an enormous amount of our income going to that. And you say, well, we need to do other things. Okay, go do other things. Take your resource and do other things. But until we die, let's rescue the perishing, care for the dying. In the words of Jude, let's pluck them as brands from the burning so that their garments not even been spotted with the scent of the smoke of what Satan Satan's trying to do by taking their, their soul and their lives to hell. Let's care about the next person. You say, well, they're not an addict. Everybody is a sin addict. Everybody is broken. Everybody is in this mold of falling apart day after day. But everybody has a hope in Jesus. And everybody has a chance. God so loved the world. He gave everything. He gave his son. And we need a generation of people that says, Heaven is real. And so I got this reality that heaven is real. So I'm going to go tell somebody. Psalm 53, 2. God looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God. John 14, 6. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, the life. 
No one can come to the Father except through me. And we're, we're not even a third away into heaven. But I feel like we need to stop right there. Is that okay with everybody? In Matthew 6, 20, he tells us to store your treasures in heaven where moths can, and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break into steel. I want you to look around the room and realize the most important treasure on earth are the lives of the people you see. Two fitlings we'll have in heaven is God, I should have done more. And I should have told more people about this place. I hope and pray we're raising a generation of believers that actually care about creating other believers. Raising other people to know the Lord. One of the highlights of my day is when I get down on my knees with my wife by my daughter's bed and I start praying and she starts echoing the words. And then we get done and she says, Daddy, I prayed with you. And I think to myself, God, help us. So one day she can say, Daddy, I prayed without you. I believe this without you. I don't want to try to save a, a community or a county and then my own kids wind up separated from God for eternity. I don't want to stand and proclaim the gospel on a, on a weekly basis in front of you and, 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 and not have the gospel lived out in our home. I want my family to be saved. You should want yours to be saved too. That's where it should start. You need to get it out and practice in front of your kids. The world has no problem practicing their beliefs in front of the kids. Matter of fact, Colorado just struck down an indecent exposure law to where they're, they're more than willing to allow somebody, a man, to pull down his pants and expose himself to your children because they feel like if they say that you can't do that, they would limit drag shows and their possibilities of what they could do in the school, literally what they said. And I sat back and I said, okay, we're going to go a little bit more Jesus hardcore in front of our children. You say, are we going to shove it down their throats? No, but we're going to live it in front of their eyes. We're going to live it in front of their ears. We're going to live it in front of what they do. Why? Because it's not about what they hear that'll change their life. It's about what they see that'll change their life. And if they see a mom and dad in pursuit of God, then maybe they'll pursue God too. The Bible says they're a quiver in your hand. That quiver is an arrow and it's pointed by you. It's pointed by me. And the truth is at some point of our lives, we will have to let it go. And the truth is, the arrow is more likely to fly in the direction it's pointed than in the opposite direction of what it's pointed at. What are we pointing our families at? What are we pointing our church at? You know, right now, it's like, I, I honestly, please forgive me. I, I, I know programs are important. I know things matter. But in my heart and in my soul and deep in my life right now, nothing is as important as letting people know that Jesus loved them, died for them, and that they need to be saved. Equally as important is letting them know that the best day of your life is not salvation. It's the start of the better days you will live because of what Jesus Christ will do in and through you. I, I hope we're raising a church that's truly in love with the word of God 
And the way that happens is set your sights on the reality. Heaven is real. Close your eyes, bow your heads, and nobody look around. How many of you got value today? Something you can build on, something you can chase, something that encourages you to go home and change your life. Would you slip a hand up and say, anybody here that says, you know what, I need to share more, I need to seek more, I need to learn more, I need to live more, I need to do something for the Lord. Would you slip a hand up in the air? I've got this value. The reason I ask that is not for me. I'm not even going to look. I can't even see the balcony because the lights are so bright. With the hand in the air, take it to God and say, God, God, strengthen this area in me. Strengthen this area in me. Here's my life. I surrender. How many of you today know that you are a child of God? You have made him Lord of your life. You are a believer. Would you testify to that? Would you slip your hand up in the air? Is there anybody like that? Would give God some praise. Yes, while you're there, thank him for what he's done. If you haven't done that, then I want to invite you to probably a decision that the enemy's trying to make scary, but God is making simple. Your life being saved, I have a girl come up on the stage last week and say, I need to get some things right first. And I simply said, what I echo to you all the time, you don't wash your hands in the sink before you get in the shower. If you're dirty, get in and let God clean you from there. It's not about you changing your behavior right now. It's about changing your mind. And I promise you this, if you will surrender your mind, your heart to Jesus Christ, your behaviors will follow as God trains you to become the person you need to be. A year later, after pouring out my alcohol, I was able to celebrate my first month completely sober. And now, years later, decades later, standing the same. You know why? Because years and years of my life, I tried to quit alcohol just on my own. But when I got Jesus, and I I had help and he walked with me and he encouraged me. And one day you're going to kick it. One day you're going to kick it. It's not about how much you can give up right now. It's about can you believe in Christ enough that he will take you just like you are. Let him be the water that flows though your sins are scarlet. You can be as white as snow. Why? Because you get washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not about what you can do. If it was, there would be no cross because you could have saved yourself. It's about what Jesus Christ has done for you because you couldn't do it. There is no getting better before God will take you. It's just as you are. That's where God loves you. And God will help you get better every time, every day, every moment you spend with him. He'll teach you something more. Anybody got a testimony of that? How many of you can say you're learning something more about God every single day of your life? You got a testimony of that? Hey, say thank you, Jesus, right? Like, thank you, God. All right. How many of you would be honest? You still got a long way to go. I got a long way to go. I got things I got to work on, right? Like I, I got to get a better moodiness. I got to get a better temperament. I got these things I got to work on. I got to make it a little bit less about me in certain situations and more about Jesus. What a convicting song we sang today, right? Like I got to remember that people are eternal and deserve the gospel more than I have to figure out how I'm going to get through the day. Hey, so you're not the only one in the room here saying that you need help. We all do. That's why we get the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to invite you, if you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth, openly declare the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What a promise. Nowhere in there does it say when you give this up and you change this and you stop cussing and you do these things. You're like, well, Christians shouldn't cuss. I agree. I agree. But let's not try to start at the finish line. Let's start where you are. Let's run the marathon. Let's run the race. Paul started his Christian life a murderer of Christians. That's day one of Paul's life was just at an execution. 
Think about that. Nobody in here, hopefully, is coming from an execution of another believer. Right? And God met him on the way to another execution and said, why are you kicking against the pricks? In other words, buddy, I'm trying to get your attention. I love you. Why are you persecuting me? And Paul's life radically changed. Now, was Paul accepted for three years? No. Did Paul have a tough life? Yes. But Paul also wrote a very powerful scripture where he said, I fought, I finished. I ran the race. And so today, we're not trying to get you to the finish line. You know, I tell people all the time, do we want the homosexual to get their life right? Yes, but we're not going after the homosexuality. We're going after the heart. Hey, let me introduce you to Jesus. Do we want the drug addict to put down the drugs? Yes, but we're not going after the needle today. We're going after the heart. Hey, the person here that's got a struggling marriage, do we want your marriage better? Yes, but we're not going after your marriage today. We're going after your heart. Somebody once left and said, preacher, you stepped all over my toes, and I literally echoed what I'd heard before. Sorry, I missed. I was trying to hit your heart. The truth is this. We, we're not here to say shame on, shame on, because the cross screamed shame off. There's no shame. Matter of fact, Romans 8 verse 1 says, there is no condemnation to anyone who is in Christ. What a beautiful word. You said, but they said, they will not sit on the throne in heaven. They will not judge you at the end of time. They have no control over your life. Let they be they. Let him be him. And today know that in the presence of God, he rejects no one. No one is cast out. And so today... Let's not fix all your problems. Let's just put a belief in Jesus Christ. Let's pursue him from here. If you've never done that, in the moment that we have right here, right now, would you just surrender your life? I'm not going to lead you in a prayer. I don't want to, you said this and, you know, I I got saved because I echoed a pastor. No, your salvation has nothing to do with what I say. Your salvation has everything to do with what you say to Jesus. Do you believe he's the son of God? Do you believe that, yes, he died, but he's alive today because he conquered death, hell, and the grave? And if you believe he rose from the dead, then right now it's a confession of God. I'm making you the Lord of my life. I'm making Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. And so I invite you. Is there anybody in the house today that maybe this is the first time that you can ever remember? Or maybe this is the time that you're like, I'm so, I'm so tired of living in doubt. I'm so tired of living in confusion. Do I believe that once you get saved, you maintain that salvation? Yes, because God gave it to you. It's his gift. It's not yours. You can't earn it by works. You can't lose it by works. You just, you got to understand God gives it by his grace, but it doesn't give you a license to sin. That's what Paul says. You pursue God. Are you following me? You with me? Trying to give you deep theology in one second. The truth is this, and I want you to understand it. It is about the decision you make. And so somebody says, well, if they've already been saved, you shouldn't try to get them. Look, if you doubt it, I don't, I don't want to sit here and debate why you doubt it. I just want to say this. You can settle it. You can settle it by giving your life to God, by giving your heart to Jesus Christ. And you know how, by the way, to keep from doubting your salvation, to continue pursuit of Jesus. If you start living that life as you're pursuing Christ, it doesn't leave room for doubt. It's when you backslide and live your own way that you're going to start doubting who you are. If you got that, say got it. But if today's the day that you say, I'm settling this, I'm settling this. Would you slip a hand in the air? Is there anybody here that say, hey, I'm going to settle this question in my life. I'm going to look. I'm going to actually take balcony first. I always do this. Real quick, I know I didn't have people close their eyes. That's for your benefit. Anybody say, hey, today's the day? 
I see a hand on this one. All right, what about on the floor? Anybody at all? All right. How many of you today would say this, that God is calling you? You know it. I, I, I know it's true. But how many of you feel an urge to go tell somebody about Jesus Christ? Can you slip a hand in the air? I feel an urge, an urgency. If you don't, and, and I don't know who you are, right? If you don't, there's a good chance you're selfish. That you've made life about you and not him. So I'm, I'm going to tell you this now. If I had a cure to cancer, I'd give it away. It took my grandmother. I'd do anything to have her. If I, if I had a cure to, to autism, buddy, we'd be doing it right now. There'd be about 10 more in this place that have children just like that. You'd be in too, wouldn't you? We'd take it in a heartbeat. If I had a cure for the common cold, you better believe I'd share that bad boy. Why? Because you know how many people miss church because they're sneezing? Especially after COVID? Right? If I had an answer, I'd give it. But those are only answers to temporary problems. We have a solution that's eternal, and that's Jesus Christ. And it is criminal to know that someone's sins can be totally forgiven and keep it to yourself. Let it be heard. Stand with me. Grab somebody's hand. Let's close in a word of prayer. All right. We love you. Even if you're new. Hey, if you are new, would you please come at least introduce yourself? I'd, I'd love to get to know you. I'm going to give you a little disclaimer. It's going to take me a little bit to know your name. All right? Like, I'm, I'm great with faces, terrible with names. But I want to get to know you. I'll kind of be hanging out outside underneath the awning. You're, you're going to have to grab me because people will be coming in as people are going out. Um, but I would love to meet you. If you have signed up for the evangelism boot camp this Saturday, and that, that it's sold out. Of course, it was paid for. But So if you're on there, you don't owe anything because it's been sponsored. All right? But show up. It's going to be 8 o'clock this Saturday. You don't want to miss it. You don't know what I'm talking about? I'm pretty sure they won't kick somebody out if you show up anyway. But that's the thing. You just might not have lunch. All right? So um, that's this Saturday. We got a lot of things that are coming up that I want you to just pray over. Next Sunday, we'll make, uh, let's see, 12 years that Grace Community Church has existed, right? Next Sunday. And we're going to celebrate that. Did you announce this about Family Day next week, Garrett? All right. So, hey, listen, we're making it as easy as we can this year. We got blow-ups. We got all the things. We are providing the hamburgers and hot dogs. The only side we're going to provide, and we're not going to ask you to bring sides this year, is we're just doing potato chips, okay? Um, but what we are asking you to bring is desserts, right? So, um, and, and please don't drop the ball there because some of us live off sugar, all right? So, all right, I'm just kidding. We shouldn't, but we, we do. All right, but that's going to be next Sunday at 4 p.m. And, and everybody's invited. It's a free event, and you don't have to go to Grace to come. Um, just know that. Uh, we, we, we want to throw a community event out. If you know a family right now, and, and, and listen, can I tell you this? We do not throw our name down anybody's throat. So Grace is involved in a lot of things that most of the community has no idea we're in. And we keep it that way um, because it's all about building the kingdom of God. And, and we don't believe we're the best church in the area. We just believe we're a church of the living God, partnering with other churches of the living God, going out to reach people in the name of Jesus Christ. And so uh, understand that. There's ministries, roadside ministries, and other ministries that are represented here that we like to put their name out there more than we do ours. So understand, when I say this, if you've got a family and they need something to do, especially a family that might be going through something financially or something hard, not only can they come, we have, we'll have tons of groceries to give away that day. We have tons of groceries to give away today. I think Jamie's here, right, Jamie? Uh, she'll meet you at this door. If you or you know somebody that needs groceries, go stock up. 
They do a wonderful job. And the lady that's going to go over there and the husband, I think I see him there too. Those two have a huge heart for this ministry. And I know they're going to hate me for this. They show up at times with cars loaded full of groceries to stock that food pantry. So not only are you going to go over there with somebody that's going to help you get groceries, you're going over to somebody that literally loved you before they knew you. And that's a cool thought, right? So please don't be embarrassed by that. But what we're saying is this, we're living in an economy where things are more and more expensive and it's harder for families. So this year, Grace is going to focus on at least three or four events that we can put out there that create a safe place for families to come that cost them nothing, all right? And so keep that in mind. And it's not about promoting church. It's about being the church in those moments and just loving people where they are. So invite somebody, join us. We'd love to have you. And with that being said, if you want to volunteer to help, we'd love to see you at two o'clock. All right, last thing, and I'll let you go. Today is the fifth Sunday, and on the fifth Sunday, we open up our music ministry to anyone who feels led, whether you're a visitor or not, uh, to come and just sing a song. That's all we ask you to do, is just sing a song. And what we're going to do is we, we get placed, and in and, and, and the ministries and expanding. Um, grace is growing, and, and we're just excited to see what God's doing there. But one thing that we need is people willing to use their talents and abilities. So that is today after the second service. So if you didn't sign up, there should be a sign-up out there. We'd love to have you. I'll tell people this. It's good for you just to be here when it starts because it doesn't take 15 minutes per person. We normally just roll. All right? So, all right, that's it. We love you. God bless you. I'm going to say this. You're going to need to love on those two girls right there because they've got just a few more weeks left before they go back to their home countries. How many of you have been blessed by them since they've been here this year? It's been incredible. I actually, for the first time, and I've known them and talked to them for the first time Wednesday at dinner, I got to sit down and talk to them. Uh, about their culture. The one thing they both told me is people are not that open and they hug all the time here, right? So that's, that's a cool thing. And great girls, you want to go by and meet them. You spend some time. If you've, they've ministered to you, love on them while you got a chance. Let's pray. We're out the door. Ready? God, thank you for the day. Thank you for loving us. Give us safety as we go home. I pray a renewal in this place. As this place moves and people get a, the movement that you've put in their lives, as they go and act the things that you've said, I pray that you'll renew the spirit in this place so that as the next ones come in, that we won't regurgitate a service, but instead we will minister through the Spirit what's needed in that moment. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for all that you give us. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Everybody said?